0: In January of 2009, the Chicago Tribune ran a story about a 14-year-old boy who was arrested for impersonating a police officer. And it made news because this boy walked into one of the districts in full police garb. He had on a ballistic vest. He had police-issued pants. He had everything except he had, I mean, he even had a holster, but he had no gun. And he didn't have the police star, but no one noticed that. He came in and he had sense enough. To sign out a ticket book and get assigned a partner for the day. And then he does a ride-along. For five hours, he does a ride-along with another officer. Now, he never had to engage with the public, but when he came back to the police station, a senior ranking officer noticed that something didn't seem right and started inquiring and asking for the boy for his credentials, and he couldn't provide them. And he, they asked the partner, and the partner had no idea that this was a 14-year-old boy masking himself as a police officer. He looked the part. He even sounded the part. But it wasn't until they really started pressing him did they realize that he was fake, that he was a phony. See, today, I think many Christians are a lot like that 14-year-old boy. We look like followers of Jesus. We sound like followers of Jesus but when we're really pressed, we find out if we're really bona fide believers and followers of Jesus. See, we, today what we're going to be looking at are those who, what does a real bona fide believer in Christ look like? What does a, a real Christian sound like? We have a lot of different definitions and images in our mind of what a, a true believer looks like. I know when I first became a Christian, I thought that a, a Christian looked looked. Basically, socially awkward. That was my impression of what a Christian was. Because many Christians that I knew were very, very awkward. They seemed to be pretty backward in how they interacted and how they, they talked. And they didn't seem to be very educated. And, and I, I thought, Lord, I am ready to be that if that's what you want. Because I believe that you are real and you are true. And then I started interacting with other people. And I started seeing people that claim to be believers but yet... They didn't seem to be awkward, and I looked at their lives, and I thought, maybe that's what a believer looks like. But yet, I would see things that, I, that didn't jive with the Bible. And I realized it wasn't about what was outward, it was about what was inward. And I had to stop and really evaluate, and, and continually evaluate, and ask myself, what does a true believer look like? And see, what Jesus is laying out for us in this passage today is what a real faith looks like. It's not about outward. I mean, we can fake it. And many of us have. Many of us probably are. We're, we're faking being a believer. We go through the motions of what it means to be a Christian. We might say the right things. We can quote the right people. But when it gets down to the heart, we see that we're not bona fide. See, we have to see what does it truly mean. Let's strip away all the layers and get down to it and and see what does it mean to be a bona fide believer in Jesus Christ. That is what we're going to look at today. And I hope that we can lay ourselves on God's operating table saying, God, give us a spiritual CAT scan and show us what's really hidden deep peel away the layers, look within our hearts, and see what's really going on within us. It's just like the, the guys, when they get heart surgery, before they get heart surgery, they get injected with that dye so we can see everything. I'm hoping that the Word of God can be injected into our heart and can show us where the real problems are. So let's, let's pray together and invoke God's Spirit. Ask Him, pleading with Him, to speak to us today. Because it's huge. I mean, we can't be phonies any longer. We have to be real before God if God is going to use us. Let's pray. Father, we lay ourselves on the table, and we ask that you perform spiritual surgery. Give us that CAT scan. Give us that MRI. Inject us with that that dye, that spiritual dye, that we can see what's going on in our hearts see where those problems areas are, that you might be able to root them out by your spirit. Lord, we plead that you send your spirit to speak to us. We don't want to go through the motions. Lord, how often do we feel like we are part of that valley of dry bones that Ezekiel talked about? And Lord, I pray that my words might be like his and that it might awaken our hearts and souls to the reality of who you are, that we might not go through the motions and seek to be phonies, pretenders, posers, We might have a real, authentic faith that is on fire for you. Awake us out of our spiritual lethargy because people are dying all around us. Awaken us from our cultural conformity and comfortability. That we might see and experience you. The one true God who gave himself to die on the cross for our sins. And rose again that we might have victory over sin by faith in you. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's get right into our text and see what God has laid out for us. Jesus begins in verse 1 of chapter 6 of Matthew. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now the word beware in Greek means uh, literally to hold to, turn to, pay attention to, to be cautious about apply oneself to, to adhere to, be aware. The idea is being on guard against this, this practice that can creep up around believers. Now, what were they to be on guard against? Look at our text. Beware of practicing or doing your righteousness. Now, righteousness in Greek is diakosune, and it's the understanding of acts of piety, and to a Jewish mind, there were three main acts of piety. There was almsgiving, or giving money to the poor. There was praying. And then there was fasting. Now, he's saying, beware of doing these things before other people. Why? In order to be seen by them, so that others might see you. Now, when we do stuff for other people, we're, we're, try, we're pretending then. And our faith isn't real. Because we're not doing it for God. See, when we're doing it for God, when we have true love, then He is glorified. When we're doing it for ourselves, then it's it means nothing. See, that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, where he said, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. But he talks about I can surrender my body to the flames, but if I have not love, it means nothing. I can do all of these great things, but I have not love, then it doesn't matter. So what he's saying there is, you should be guarding against phony faith. Guarding against phony faith. That's the first point that I want you to write down. Guarding against phony faith. Being an actor. Now, it's interesting there, the word that he uses is hypocrite. Hypocrite. Now, it's interesting that there's two different meanings that you can draw out from the word hypocrite. And especially within Greek, the the term, the way that it was used was to describe actors. People that were portraying parts, pretending. He's saying, don't be like them. They're pretending. Don't have a phony faith. See, phonies, this is what phonies do. And there's three things that phonies do. They play the part. They go through the motions. They play the part. Secondly, they perform for the crowd. They perform for the crowd to be seen by others. And that's what Jesus is saying. In other words, he's saying to them... You got the wrong audience in mind. He says, You have the audience of, of earthly, not the heavenly. See, my kids do this when they're when they're very little. They say, Daddy, look at me. Look at me. Watch me. Are you watching? Are you watching, Daddy? Are you watching? And then they say, I, they want to do it if I so I'll see it. If I am not watching it, do they want to do it? No. They want to do it for me. Now, see, this is an innate thing within us. The problem is, is who's our audience? When we try to, when we have God as our audience, it's good. God, do you see me? Do you see what I'm doing? And God sees. But when we see other people, look at me. We're performing for the crowd. We're not doing it for God any longer. That's a phony faith. See, when we have phony faith, we play the part, we perform for the crowd, and then we do it for what reason? Because we seek the praise of men. We seek the praise of men. Now, this is an indictment that we all have to face. Because all of us, at one time or another, have done it for someone else and not God. We see this indictment within Scripture. I want to show a couple passages to you. This is in John chapter 12, verse 42 through 43. John, by the Spirit, writes, Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. They loved human praise more than the praise of God. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, that's what many of us want. We want the praise of man more than we want the praise of God. See, that's why many churches have capitulated the truth of the cross. Because they want the praise of man. They want to be accepted in the world's eyes. They want men to esteem them and not Mock them. And right now, if you try to be a Christian in our world, you will be mocked. It's nothing new. It's just more overt and hostile, especially in the public arena. The question you have to ask yourself is this. Do I want the praise of men or the praise of God? The praise of men is temporary. The praise of God is eternal. I think that's why you see so many of these different young Christians who go to Hollywood and then they are wooed by the devil. And they seem to like, I'm going to follow Jesus, such as Miley Cyrus, such as Katy Perry, such as example, I could give you after Britney Spears, I could give you example after example after example after example of these individuals that seemed great. And they were performing in their churches. They were performing for denominations. They were out in front of the crowd. And as soon as they go to Hollywood, they are lured in. And Jesus gave a warning to that. What good is it? I don't have this passage up there. But if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul, the applause of men is temporary. The applause of God is eternal. So we have to be very, very careful in seeking the praise of men. We have to understand that this world rejects the faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. For the wisdom of this world, and that's honestly, that's what many of us want. We want the wisdom of the world, the applause of the world, and God is saying no. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile, so let no one boast in men. Now, perhaps the the most startling example of someone who wanted the praise of men and had phony faith was found in Acts chapter 5. Many of you might be familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. This story should send chills through your bones. It should awaken us out of our slumber and cause us to look in the mirror to see where our faith lies. Because this is a couple, and we're going to read this story, uh, that seemed to have all the appearance of godliness. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself, some of the proceeds, and brought brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, "Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land?" And he describes this. He goes on, "While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? You could keep it. You could do what you want with it." After it was sold, was it not at your disposal. You could still spend it any way you wanted it to. That's, you could have done anything you wanted it with it. The, the problem is not the fact that you wanted it to, 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 give, to spend it for stuff that you wanted to do. That's not the issue. He goes on. Was it not that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. See, he was trying to make himself look better in the sight of God. He was pretending. See, if he just would have sold the property and kept the money for himself... Peter wouldn't have complained. The guy, he, 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 there wasn't a problem. The problem was is when he pretended to sell it for a lesser amount and then he kept the part for himself. See, he was trying to get the esteem of men and even the people in the church by pretending to look holier than he really was. And God's indictment is swift. His judgment comes quickly. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. But the story continues. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and it came upon all who heard these things. You know, one pastor has said that if God were to act as swiftly as he did then, that our modern churches would be filled with morgues in the basement. Are we judged like that? Are we, if we're to be honest with ourselves, Ananias and Sapphira, we've pretended and yet we've kept back. We tried to feign godliness because we cared more about our reputation with men than with God. May God forgive us. We cannot have the praise of men We can't lie to God. He wants us to be honest and authentic in our pursuit and in our service to Him. What we need to do is make sure that we are becoming true faith practitioners. True faith practitioners. And what that means is, is we put ourselves on God's anvil, asking Him to hone and sharpen and shape us, no matter what the cost no matter what pain it may cause, to be like God wants us to be. Now, that involves three different things. First of all, it requires forsaking hypocrisy. Jesus refers to this time and time again within our passage. When he starts referring to the hypocritical, he says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, and they may be praised by others. Don't be a hypocrite. We have to forsake hypocrisy. And as I mentioned before, the word for hypocrite in Greek means a performing actor under a mask. Figuratively, it's a two-faced person. It's a person whose profession, who does not match their practice, who says one thing and does another, who has a lot of talk but not a lot of walk. Now, it's interesting that this word, and in the ancient world, uh, not just looking at this word, but in the ancient world, when we examine actors, they were considered to be the lowest part of society. They did not have the, the persona and the prestige like we do today, where everybody tunes in to watch the Oscars, and everybody is calling for their name and paparazzi was around. They were considered to be, "Eh!" because they were pretenders. They were just good at pretend. Playing parts. I mean, children can play parts. They were just they were actors. They weren't considered to be esteemed that much, how much I wish it was like that now. But they they were pretenders, they were hypocrites, and, and what we, Jesus is showing us here is you can't be a hypocrite, you have to be authentic. Now, it's interesting, we get a picture of what the early church was like by this guy named Aristides. Okay, Aristides is writing about observing Christians in their practice, and it and, and it was pretty on the money on how it should be. It wasn't like hypocrisy. Like today, if we were to talk to someone that we know and ask what a Christian's life was to be, chances are they would say hypocrite. Not early in this time. This is what we read here. Aristides says this, they do not commit adultery. He's writing to the Emperor Hadrian about Christianity and the experience that he had in observing them early on. So this is in 125 A.D. Now, the book of Revelation was written in about A.D. 90. So there's, this is a very early church. And he says they don't commit adultery nor fornication. They do not bear false witness. They do not deny a deposit, nor covet what is not theirs. They honor father and mother. They do good to those who are their neighbors. They love one another, and from the widows they do not turn away their countenance. And they rescue the orphan from him who does him violence. And he who has has, gives to him who had not, without grudging. When one of their poor passes away from the world and any of them sees him, then he provides for his burial according to his ability." And if they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it's possible that he may be delivered. He goes on. They deliver him. If there is among them a man that is poor or needy, and they have not abundance of necessaries, or necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the need with their necessary food. Now, is this us today? Why is it not? Why do we have to go back and look at the early church? Why can't we do this now? I think many of us, if we're very, very honest, we are hypocritical. Our life doesn't match our words. We don't like silence. We don't like doing business with God. We like to fill ourselves with all kinds of things because when we are alone, when we are quiet, God shows some things to us that we don't like to deal with. God is asking us to come before Him, to be still and know that I am God. And He begins to perform surgery on our soul. We have to lay ourselves down before him, and we have to remove that hypocrisy, the cancer of hypocrisy from our life. We must forsake hypocrisy. See, many of us think that we can have God and our sin, and it's a little bit like going to McDonald's. Going to McDonald's and saying, I'd like three double cheeseburgers, a Big Mac, super fry size, an apple pie, and yeah, Diet Coke. See, many of us are like that. We're like, I can do all this sin, and then I'm going to go to church. That's the Diet Coke. Somehow this counteracts the rest of it. No. That doesn't work. We have to lay ourselves completely before Him and give Him everything and not just try to counteract it when it really can't counteract. See, an authentic follower... A bona fide believer will forsake hypocrisy and also desires to be serving diligently. Serving diligently. Now, look, let's look back at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, it's interesting. He's saying, beware of practicing your righteousness. The idea is, is that you are doing it. Now, I think this is, this is uh, for many of us, we're not doing it. We can't beware of doing it because we're not doing it. And here he's saying, you're supposed to be doing this. Why aren't you not doing this? He said, you need to be serving diligently. Now, I'm appalled at how we don't serve, the majority of us. Now, there's some that are, some of, some of us in this room, you are faithful servants. God bless you. I know you are in the trenches. You are, you've got to the nose to the grindstone. You are the ones that are praying. You are the ones that are behind the scenes, and, and, and it's hard. That's why the Scripture continually says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Because it is hard work. But I would say, for the majority of us, we don't serve at all. And the reason that we're not growing in our Christ-likeness, we're not moving on, is because we're not serving. You cannot be like Jesus if you don't serve. Period. Jesus came to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. And if you're not, you will never, you will always be stuck. You'll always be spinning your wheels. This morning I was trying to pull out of my driveway. What happened? I hit snow and it got stuck. And we just keep spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And we have to stop and catch it. We have to get that push. And God is giving by his spirit a push, a holy push, to get us out. Because we are to be serving diligently and taking our service seriously. And, we, and when we do serve, many of us are just, oh, I'm serving. It's like it's a labor camp. You know? you know? You know where I, one of the things I don't like doing is getting my oil changed. But when I do, you know where I like to go? I like to go to the Jiffy Lube on Sullivan over by Orchard. You know why? Because they treat you like a king. I'm serious. You pull up, and they say, what can I do for you today, sir? I'm like, wow, this was, st- I hated this, but now I want to give you my car. And they say, come on out. And they open the door for you. And I'm like, that felt good. And next thing I know, they're standing at the other door, letting me into the jiffy loop. And I'm like, wow, I'm important. I'm loved. And they say, sir, how can we help you? Well, I hug me. Just <laughs> hug me right now. I feel a lot of love here. Okay, but they take serious, I've never been, okay, this is a jiffy lube. This is a jiffy lube. I've never been a place that they take service so seriously, and it's a jiffy lube. How much do we take service seriously as a church? Do we take it that joyfully? No. Why? Why? Why don't we take our service that seriously see we have to serve to take up servanthood and i was reading uh some tony evans and he gives this illustration a great illustration he says this a while back jackie chan starred in a movie called the tuxedo and he played a cab driver and his his job was to serve his customers he wound up becoming the driver for clark devlin a top secret agent During one scene in the movie, the car comes under attack, and Clark Devlin becomes critically wounded in the attack. Mr. Devlin tells Jackie Chan to put on a tuxedo located in the car that will give him extraordinary power. The injured passenger told Chan, when you put my coat on, then you will share in my glory. Jackie Chan put on Clark Devlin's tuxedo, and he found powers to walk on walls, to do all kinds of flips and overcome the enemies who would seek to bring destruction, all because he wore the clothing of another. And this is what Evan says. He goes, When you and I put on Jesus Christ, and when we wear his character and his glory, we share in his greatness. Don't think you're going to be great if you're not willing to put on his jacket, which is always the jacket of servanthood. If you really want to be somebody in time and in eternity, ask yourself if you are serving others more than they are serving you. See, I think that's another reason that many of us have so many problems, we're so inward focused. And we become so inward focused and so consumed by our problems that everybody that says something to us and we go, they don't understand. They don't understand. The problem is, is that you are so self-focused. See, when we serve others, it takes the focus off self and onto other people. That's what God is asking us to do, to take our focus off ourselves. Making sure that we give God, the credit and the glory. Because see, when we start to focus on other people, we're not crying for ourselves, we start to cry for other people. And Billy Graham, I don't have this quote up on the screen, but he said this, Tears shed for self are tears of weakness, but tears shed for others are a sign of strength. Do we shed tears for those who are lost in our lives and in our community? Do we understand the magnitude of hell. I've been asking myself that question. As I'm on my knees before God, do I weep for others, not condemn? See, it's easy to condemn with what's going on in the world right now, to say all kinds of things, to defend ourselves. It's another thing to weep knowing how lost they are. See, that's a different level. And that if we're to truly see God work, we have to be able to weep for those who are lost and that are caught in all kinds of sin. I mean, part of it is condemning, yes, but it's weeping. Weeping for them. You can't be like Christ without serving, weeping and seeking the salvation of others. Now let's look at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, Notice it says, when you give. It doesn't say if. When, intentional, purposeful, expected. See, it implies that we will be giving. Now, what does that mean? It means that we must be practicing generosity. God doesn't condemn generosity here. He's not condemning it. He's only condemning doing it for show. He's expecting us to be generous to help others. How should we give? Now, it's interesting. The Bible never says how much we should give. Do you know that? People come to me and they say, how much? We we, we use the word tithes and offerings. But, you know, the New Testament doesn't speak about the tithe. It's always about the heart. It's always about the heart. And it's interesting. God wants us to have a certain attitude when we give. and, And he talks about that. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. Do you not feel like you're growing spiritually? Do you feel like you're in a rut? Maybe this is the reason why because you're not giving to God. That's why you're not experiencing a lot of joy and fruit in your life, is because you're not giving to Him. Now, again, it's about the heart. I don't care about the amount, it's about the heart. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart. In his heart. God always raises the standard. He always, it's not, see in the Old Testament it was about the tithe, which is that 10%. In actuality, in, in the Old Testament it was more like 30%. But he says, no, no, no. It's not about going through the checklist. It's about laying your heart saying, God, what do you want from me? And he's stretching our faith. In our trust in Him, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not, under, not reluctantly, like, ah, uh, or under compulsion. Ah, uh, someone forcing us. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, cheerful giver. Cheerful giver that's why I said, and maybe you caught this last week if you were here, where I said, Give hilariously. I remember that I, I was working with a ministry called uh, Bill Glass Ministries. It was a prison ministry went into prisons and and I remember he was doing a kind of a fundraiser, and he said, Give hilariously, you should be laughing as you give <laughs> I mean, many of us are we cry when we give. I remember this old uh, check. The guy from the Czech Republic. And I remember standing in line at a grocery store with him. He was one of my friend's dads. And he looked at me with this accent, real thick accent. He goes, do you know what my my wallet is made out of? I said, no. He goes, onion leather. Onion leather? He goes, yeah, every time I open it, I cry. (laughs) And I think many of us feel that way. We give under compulsion, reluctantly. But God loves a cheerful, cheerful, joyous giver. Because it's a response to what God has done in our lives. It's an acknowledgement that we're giving unto Him. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all abound. The point is this. go, go, Go ahead to the next slide. As it is written, He is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He continues, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Because we know that we have received something that we did not deserve. We received God's unmerited favor, and then we respond in kind by practicing that generosity. God does expect us to give. He expects us to do so frequently, intentionally, not under compulsion, but willingly. In fact, it should be a joyous thing. I heard of a, just a pastor who was in a conversation with some folks yesterday, and they mentioned that a pastor that they knew said, if you can't give joyously, don't give. Good advice. Don't give. If you can't give joyously, don't give. You need to, you need to go down before God and have a conversation with him. Because it's your soul at stake. There's an idol somewhere in your heart that God needs to root out and bring to the surface for you to go on. If you can't give joyously, don't give. Don't give. Now, we see this warning about not doing our righteousness before men. He wants us to change our perspective. See, we can't be trying to live our audience, live our lives before the audience of men, but for the audience of one. That's what it means to be a bona fide believer, and that's going to require us having the right perspective. Having the right perspective. See, I'm amazed at our perspective sometimes and we're still talking about generosity, when we are trying to buy something for ourselves, someone will go, oh, it's 20 bucks. We're like, "Ah, that's not a big deal. 40 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is, you're not, it's not a big deal. Oh, what about for church? Suddenly, that's a big deal. We have a different perspective. We treat God like my grandparents treated our dog growing up. Here's what I mean by that. I grew up on a farm. Uh, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' farm growing up. And we would, we would eat in the summers, and we would have this big lunch where all the guys who were working as farmhands would eat at the table. And there would abound to be leftovers. And guess where the leftovers went? To the dog. To the dog. And we would take that outside and give it to the dog. And the dog was happy. The dog was excited. And we think that that dog is a lot like God when we give him scraps. We're like, oh, God, look what I'm giving you. Oh, isn't that good? Aren't you happy? We treat God like a dog. We need to reverse that. He's not a dog. Same three letters. Flip it. It's God. Don't give God your scraps. If God's not first place, then something's wrong. Something is seriously wrong in your soul. And yet, for whatever reason, we think God is content with that. God wants our first fruits. He wants our heart. How do we change our perspective? Well, then there are three ways. The first requires this. We need to have a holy motivation. Requires a holy motivation. I'm amazed what motivates people. Really. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to motivate people. But Jesus is saying here, there's a a degree of motivation and it's reward before God. Look at verse 2. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpets. trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street, that they may be praised by others. He's saying then, don't, don't do that. Find your motivation from, from God himself. Not to be praised by other people, but to be praised by God himself. Not to earn his favor, we already have it. It's a response of our thankfulness to what he has done for us. Tony Evans gives another great story about motivation. He says, a flight attendant one day wanted to go on a trip, and she received a seat that was available in first class at no cost to her. She was able to fly to Europe. An emergency occurred to the airplane that made it so that they were in need of another flight attendant. She raised her hand and let them know she was a flight attendant, and even though she was on vacation taking a trip to Europe, she would be glad to serve as the additional help that was needed. She was not serving to get to Europe. That had already been taken care of. It was part of the package of being a flight attendant for the airline. But she had no problem serving on the plane either because she was just so grateful for the benefit to be able to ride to Europe at no cost to her. The service was a joy and not a complaint. It is unfortunate today, Evans goes on, that many people are serving Christ in order to earn brownie points to make sure they're saved, rather than serving Christ out of the overwhelming joy of the free ride. God wants your service not as a validation for your salvation. He wants your service out of your joy for the assurance of your salvation. See, we're to have a holy motivation, but we also must have a hidden inclination. A hidden inclination. What does Jesus say? Not to be done in the face of men, but to do so in such a way that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. Now the idea there, uh, and there's scholars debate on it, but most agree that it's the understanding of discernment and humility. That they're not taking their own giving so seriously. Do it in secret. It's the idea of not, not drawing attention to oneself, nor taking oneself too seriously. Self-forgetfulness That's the idea of what is going on. It means discretion. Discretion. A hidden inclination. The thing is, is that we want credit. You know, there's a saying that said, it doesn't matter. I mean, a lot can be accomplished as long as it it doesn't matter who gets the credit. Now, I'd like to change that a little bit because I do agree with that. But I'd rather say it this way. More than we could ever imagine could be accomplished as long as God gets the credit. I'm reading a great book on Billy Graham right now. And one of the things that came out time and time again was his humility. This man has spoken to presidents, world leaders, traveled all over the world, spoken to more people than than any other person in all of history. All of history. And what he's known by is his humility. And they would say, Billy, you've done this, you've done this. And he'd say, no, as soon as I take credit for anything that God has done, my lips will turn to clay. Because he understood it was all about God. Him doing it through his people. But we're not, we're, we want credit. We want to be recognized. Praised. Do you know that's what the devil did? That's part of his fall. When the devil was an angel of God, in the service of God, it said by, by his, his occupation, he, he deceived himself. Basically, he's saying, I'm worthy of praise more than God is. See, God takes praise very, very seriously, and he wants his name to receive glory, not ours. And that's hard for us. That's hard for us all. But I see Christians doing it all the time, especially on the internet. I struggle with that. I've I've even pulled back from blogging. That's one of the reasons why, is because I started asking myself, to who am I doing this for? Why? Why? I saw these, I even heard of different bloggers that would say stuff just to get more traffic because they wanted the glory. They wanted people to pay attention to them. That's not what it's about. It's about making God's name known. Not you, not me, His name. What are we doing to make His name known? That's a hidden inclination. That's why he's saying, let your giving be done in secret. That your audience is the audience of one, not the audience of man. Not the audience of man. It's a hidden Inclination. Now, what's the result of all this? This is another part of the motivation aspect, actually. Let's look. While there is a negative to practicing, our, I mean, there, obviously it is a negative to practice our righteousness before men, but when we are doing it before God, what happens? There, then there becomes a heavenly commendation. When we're doing it for God, there is a heavenly commendation. That's interesting. Jesus says time and time again within our passage for today. And if you look at it, you'll see. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no... What's the word? What's the word, church? Reward. Reward. Pay attention from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their... reward. What? reward continuing on but when you give to the needy don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing it's discretion so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will do what reward there's the aspect of reward there's motivation we receive a heavenly commendation from him and him alone and that's the only one who really matters you know evans gives another story great story He says a professional violinist was giving a concert. When he finished, the crowd jumped up from their seats and gave him a standing ovation. He had delivered a magnificent performance. Now, the young violinist, with tears streaming down his cheeks, walked off the stage. Walked off the stage, dejected. The stagehand saw him and said, why are you so sad? The people are going crazy for you. And you were crying? I I don't get it. And, and then the, the violinist with tears in his eyes, he goes, he points, he's behind this curtain and he points to the man in the front row and he goes, do you see that man there? He's still sitting. The stagehand said, "Yeah." so what? There are 2,000 people who are standing. The violinist said this, this is true but you don't understand. That man down there in the middle is my dad. He's also my violin teacher. If he doesn't stand, it doesn't matter what 2,000 other people do. See, if God doesn't applaud When he sees how you live your life, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. He's the only one that matters. The only one that matters at the end of the day. God's reward is eternal. Man's is temporal. Bonafide believers don't look to the temporal but to the eternal. They manage to keep their eyes on the prize. We look to heaven, not to earth. The problem that many of us have is that we're trying to find our reward in the here and now because we don't have faith. We don't enjoy God. You know, there's a story about a missionary couple that had been serving the Lord on the mission field for a long period of time, and they were coming back home. They happened to be on a boat at the time that Teddy Roosevelt was on. Teddy Roosevelt had just got done serving in office as president, the 26th president of the United States. And right after he had got out of office, he went on a big game safari to Africa where he spent several months. It was well documented. And then he makes his way home via Southampton, England, which happens to have this missionary couple on board. When the boat came into port in New York, the crowd was cheering to welcome Roosevelt. And there was just cheers of adulation. And as the missionary couple made their way off the boat, there was no one to welcome them. There were no cheers. There was no celebration. The missionary was really dejected. He was thinking to himself, I have served the Lord for 40 years. And he tells his wife, there is no one here to greet us. I feel so useless. It's like I've done nothing. And yet here he is, comes off, and he's just on a big game safari and gone a short amount of time. And look what he did. And he gets all this applause. I mean, when he gets home, look at all that adulation he gets. She looked at him, squeezed his arm, and said, honey, we're not home yet. We haven't entered into heaven yet. That's the real home. That's the applause of heaven. When you hear the well done, good and faithful servant. When you hear the, the voices of heaven's chorus saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When you'll hear the angels sing. When we'll enter into the presence of Him who is our heart's desire. The one who... Gave himself for us, that was crucified for our sins, that we could have forgiveness, that he took the wrath of God upon himself and became our substitute, that we could have new life in him. I want his applause. I want him to cheer. I want him to say, Well done good and faithful servant. That's what I want more than anything else in the world. That's what it means to be a bona fide believer. To have our hope in heaven and not here. This world matters nothing. God means everything. Let's pray. Father God, I, I am amazed at you. I am overwhelmed that you would give your son for us, that how we totally throw it away, that we don't take you seriously. We don't live our life in subjection and submission to you. We don't know what it means to have joy in you. We don't seek your face. We don't pray. And we don't tell other people about who you are. Forgive us, God. Forgive us. We don't want to have phony faith. We don't want to be set on fire by your spirit. Give us the courage to tell other people about who you are. To give out of an overflow of our hearts. To serve you with all of our souls. God, help us to love those and weep for those who are lost. And Lord, for those who are lost, I pray that they might see you. They might repent of their sin. And they might turn unto you and experience the joy. And the peace. That comes from you. So, Lord, help us to all be bona fide believers. We repent of our hypocrisy. And help us to seek you in the secret place, to get on our knees, to give. Lord, help us to thirst for you, to long for you, to not be satisfied by anything but you. So, Lord, use us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.